Philippians chapter 1, I want to talk to you for a few moments this morning about building a living memorial. Building a living memorial. Tomorrow, as we know, is the day we celebrate Memorial Day. Tuesday is actually Memorial Day, May the 30th, but we celebrate it on Monday so we can have longer weekends and get that Saturday, Sunday, Monday off for a lot of folks. Originally, what was it called? Declaration Day, good. All right, some of you know a little bit about your history. They're trying to blot that out for a lot of us, aren't they? Wipe it out and let us forget. It's a day of remembrance for those who have died in our nation's service. And I'm so thankful for all the sacrifices that the families and soldiers have made to defend our country and all that it stands for. But the greatest debt that we owe next to the debt that we owe to our Savior, is to those who gave the ultimate sacrifice and gave their lives for their country. Many of you may have had a grandfather or a father, an uncle, a brother, a close friend, a soldier, maybe even a sister who died in the service of our country. May we never forget that freedom is not free. Amen? It's not free. It's paid for by the blood of those patriots who gave their lives. And I think it's important for us to have days like Memorial Day to help us to remember the things that are worthy of being remembered. We have a lot of stuff that's being thrown at our, in our faces now that aren't worth remembering, not worth a hill of beans, but there are some things that are worth remembering. Amen? We have many ways to memorialize things that are important to us. Many of us have private memories. We find them in things that we call scrapbooks and diaries and photo albums and family videos. We also have public memorials, things that are landmarks, bridges and highways and dams and libraries and schools and websites, not to mention the statues and the natural uh, or the, the national memorials of our fallen soldiers. And I think we have to be careful that we don't let them tear them down and destroy them and cause us to forget them. All of these are created so that we can call to remembrance the importance of some of the past deeds and the people who did them. There is a history, and there's a true history for our country, and we must never forget it. But did you know that in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it is full of memories, memories that call us to remember important events and people in the Old Testament. For instance, you may not know it, but the rainbow was a memorial. Amen? It was a memorial of God's judgment against sin and of His promise that He would never again destroy the world by a flood. I'm glad we have that to look at sometimes. Amen? And it rains every now and then. How many of you like me? You just like to see a rainbow. Amen? Remind you. How many of you have seen a double rainbow? Once in a while, you'll see a triple. Anybody ever seen a triple rainbow? A few of you have. Once in a while, you'll see that. They're reminders, aren't they? It's a memorial that God has given to us about judgment that came on this earth because of sin, but also about God's promise that He would never again destroy the world by flood. 
In the Old Testament, the Passover feast was a memorial to remind the children of Israel how God had delivered them from captivity. He brought them out of the land of Egypt and took them into the promised land. And that last plague that was brought was the death of the firstborn son in every home. And God gave them that memorial of the Passover when they would slay the lamb and put the blood uh, in, in the Old Testament, they put the blood on the doorposts and the lintels. It reminded them and reminded us of, the, of Jesus who went to the cross and his blood that was shed for us. They were commanded every year to celebrate the Passover. It was a memorial to remind them that God had delivered them from the land of Egypt. And then there was also the, the memorial of the river stones. When the children of Israel crossed the Jordan, God had them... The, the, the leaders of the tribes to pick up a stone out of that river and carry it over to the shore and lay it down and build an altar there. I remember a few years ago when Vicky and I went with Brother Sharp over to Israel and we got down to the Jordan River and he had a, a bunch of the men there, had each of us go find a big rock and we brought it over and we piled them up and we made a, a pile of rocks there. And that's what they did when they crossed the Jordan. They made that memorial so later on, there, especially kids would remember, what is that, Dad? What's that pile of rocks over there? That's a memorial of how God parted the Jordan River and brought us across into the, into the promised land. God instituted those memorials for the Old Testament people to remember the important events in their life. Fast forward to the New Testament. In the New Testament, God gave us some memorials as well. The Lord's Supper or communion that we celebrate is a memorial that, is, that the Lord has given to us. Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. And churches have been commemorating the Lord's Supper and communion for over 2,000 years. We celebrate and we're reminded of what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's symbolic. The bread and the communion is a picture of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ that was broken for us. It reminds us that He gave His body on the cross because of our sin. And then the cup that has in it the, the juice that is drunk, is, is, we drink, it, it reminds us of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed for us on the cross at Calvary. And that drink in the cup we use in, in our church, and I believe that it is scriptural, we use the fruit of the vine, we use grape juice. We don't use wine for the same reason the bread is unleavened bread. Leaven is a picture of sin. Jesus was sinless. So we don't use bread that is leavened. I heard about a church not too long ago. They had communion and they had little, uh, little um, donut type things. And, then they, and I think they had Pepsi or something like that for their drink. In, in, in a, a rather large church. That's, that has nothing to do with, with my God. The bread is without leaven because Jesus was without sin. The juice is, is not fermented as the, as the wine process because, again, fermentation is a picture of sin. And so we don't use wine. And so, but all of that was a, a memorial that the Lord gave to us. And he said, this do in remembrance of me. Every time we take communion, we're reminded of the body of Jesus being crucified on the cross and his blood that was shed for us for our salvation. Did you know baptism is a memorial? It is symbolic it's a visual reminder of the death and burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we baptize a person, we use the baptistry right up here in the, in the back of the choir, but it's in the front of the 
the church from, from your standpoint. We take a person underneath the water, and what is that a picture of? The death of Christ. When they're brought out of the water, it's a picture of his resurrection. So baptism is a memorial service. It's reminding us of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross at Calvary. But I want you to consider something else this morning. And that is the idea that for you and me, our very life should be a memorial. Your life and my life should be a memorial. I'd like you to consider this morning, what kind of a memorial are you building with your life? Your personal living memorial. Each one of us is building one, whether we know it or not, whether it's consciously or unconsciously, it's happening. We're building a memorial for our family, for our friends, for our co-workers, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're building a memorial that will remain after we are gone. We had a funeral this last Wednesday here. Uh, I, I, actually, I had it at, at the funeral home. Uh, but as we had that service, it was a, in some ways a memorial. We were talking about the life of the person that had passed away. Tuesday, we'll have the funeral service for, for Dan Zinzinger. We'll be reminded of his life. He's left a memorial with his life. What kind of memorial are you leaving? You see, some of us would say, okay, here's my life. Here's where I was born. Here's where, when I'm going to die. We don't know when that time is. But when we get over here to the time to die, we want there to be some things that will be spoken of by our life. Amen? So if that's going to be true, that means in this time period in between, we've got to be doing some things and planning some things and following the Lord in such a way that when we get here, we'll be able to say, thank God I did those things in my life. Thank God I was those things. I was building and you are building, we are building a living memorial. How will you be remembered after you're gone? How will people remember you? Will they fight over who gets your Bible? Because it's filled with comments and notes that you made in it as you read it and studied it through the years. and Your kids want to have it. Will they say you love God? Will they say as they look back on your life, boy, he was faithful, she was faithful. They read their Bible every day. They were always in church. They were faithful witness. They were faithful in their tithing. I, last night, Vicky and I visited with Wendell and his daughters for a little while, and Wendell has a hospital bed in his living room, and hospice, in-home hospice is coming in. You know what he did before I left? He said to his daughters, did you give him the envelope? And he, they gave me an envelope with his tithe to put in today. He couldn't be here, but he was a faithful tither. He wanted to make sure his money was put in there. Will they say he was a hard worker? Will they say she was a, a kind person? You and I are building a living memorial. What are people going to remember us for? On May the 7th, 2005, Saturday night before Mother's Day, my mother went home to be with the Lord. It was the night before our 25th anniversary of our church. Mom had lung cancer, though she didn't smoke. She had a tumor in her lung, and in the last 
several months. They had to remove the fluid from her lungs every so often. She cooked Sunday lunch for some of the family just the Sunday before the Saturday when she went home to be with the Lord. She declined rather rapidly that week. My sister called me about Wednesday, and she said, we've decided we're going to get a hospital bed and put it in the living room for mom. And that was on Wednesday. And so on Thursday, I drove out to Virginia, to Martinsville, Virginia, to spend a little time with my mom. And when I got there, one of the first things she said to me when I came into the house, she said, she said, Tim, I'm so sorry. I said, Mom, what are you sorry about? She said, I messed up your big day. Because Sunday was our 25th anniversary at church. And she said, I messed up your big day. It was just like mom. She was always thinking about others and not thinking about herself. And I told her, I said, Mom, I said, that's all right. And on Saturday when I got ready, I, I left Saturday around noon and came back so I could be here for Sunday. And I told her, I said, Mom, I said, we've had a couple of good days together. And I said, I'm going to go back and I'll come back on Monday. But then I said this, I said, you don't have to wait for me. I've been in hospitals and homes with people who've waited sometimes hours and sometimes days for a relative to get there or for someone, a friend, to get there. I said, you don't have to wait for me. And that was Saturday about noon. I left. I got back here Saturday evening, and I went to the hospital because there was a couple in our church whose mother was also dying. And I went to the hospital to be with them to encourage them. And on the way to the hospital, I got a phone call. It told me that my mom had gone to heaven to be with the Lord. At the funeral, my brother and I, my brother Dan is a year older than I am. He's a pastor in Martinsville, Virginia. And Dan and I had the privilege and also the burden of preaching my mother's funeral. Some of the people from our church drove all the way out to be there, and that was a great encouragement to me. But her life was a memorial. And that service was a, mo a memorial service for her, but her life was a memorial to God and to others. She served God with a dedication and a passion as a pastor's wife. She served her family with the same amount of commitment. She served my dad in many ways that, that he never really fully appreciated. She served the churches that dad pastored for years. She was an example, and many people came to that funeral service to testify of the blessing that she had been to their life. One of these days, you and I are going to leave the earth just the same as my mom did. What kind of memorial are we leaving? What are folks going to say? What are our loved ones going to say about your life? I'd like to suggest this morning a plan for us to construct a personal living memorial. There's three things that we need to do if we're going to have the right kind of a memorial for our life. First of all, build on the foundation of God's Word. Build your life on the foundation of God's Word. There's only one thing in our world that's always been constant. Never failing, never changing, always true. The only thing in this world that can, we can always rely upon is the Word of God. His Word. Paul told Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That word of truth that he talks about is the word of God. It's the word of God that Timothy had received as a child, the Bible says, from his mother and from his grandmother. Ladies, are you building the word of God into the lives of your children and your grandchildren like Timothy's mother and grandmother did? 
the Word of God. If you build your foundation on human ideas, you're going to build it on sifting, shifting sand. It's not going to be a solid foundation. You build it on the solid Word of God, and you're building on the solid rock, the solid ground that will stand. The Word of God will never fail you. The Word of God will never let you down. It's the key to knowing what's right and wrong. It has the answers for making your marriage successful. It'll tell you how to rear your kids so that they'll be kids that will honor their parents and will be a success in life. It teaches you how to get along with people without having unnecessary conflict. It'll even teach you how to handle the conflict when it arises. It tells us how to be successful in life, how to have true success. That's the kind of success that will last for eternity. It has a plan, the best plan for your life and for my life. It tells us how we can have joy and how we can have peace. Brother Gibbs talked about that joy last week. Most importantly, it tells us how we can be saved by knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. How we can know where we're going in eternity. One day our life will be over. Yes, we're going to leave a memorial behind. But where will we be? If you've built your life on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God, you can know that you'll be in heaven with the Lord for all of eternity. Not I hope so, I wish so, I think so, but I know. I know. I remember how the Word of God was the foundation of my mother's life. The only potential conflict after her death was somewhat about her and my dad both, was who's going to get the Bible and who's going to get dad's books. I'm still not sure who got all of it. But we wanted it. I used to use my grandma's Bible for devotions when I was a teenager. And I still remember one of the things she had written in the front of her Bible. She had this statement written there. The average man falls in love with himself at an early age. And he never gets over it until he falls in love with Jesus. Pretty good quote. Any quotes in your Bible that you're going to leave for your kids and your grandkids? Are there any notes, markings in your Bible that your kids say, hey, I want that Bible. I've kept all my Bibles that I've preached from through the years, and my, my plan is to give one of them to each of my grandsons, or to make sure Vicki does after I die. If she dies first, if she doesn't quit messing around, she's going to die first the way she's going, but then we'll have to make sure somebody else does that. But I want, I want them to have it. I, is there anything in your Bible? Do you, look, do you look at your Bible and somebody flips through your Bible? Is there anything there that they want? Notes. Words that you explain, that you write down the meanings of, comments and so forth. I thank God I had a dad and mom who loved the Lord and lived for God and left a memorial for their kids and for their grandkids. A memorial of faithfulness of God. My dad, as I have mentioned oftentimes, was a functioning alcoholic. He got saved when he was 25 years of age. Mom, I think, was about 20. They got saved in a revival meeting, a tent revival that lasted for 30 days. Dad got saved early in the revival. My mom, I think, got saved the last night. Dad always said she was a harder sinner than he was. It took longer for her to get saved. But they gave their lives to Jesus Christ, and God changed their life. Before they got saved, they had no desire for the things of God. They had no desire to live for God. But when Christ came into their heart and life, their life changed. 
They were different. They had a foundation, a firm foundation. When the storms of trials come in your life, and they will, your memorial will lie in ruins if your life is not built on a strong foundation of the Word of God. When temptation comes, you'll fail, you'll fall miserably if you haven't built your life on the foundation of the Word of God. When doubts come, they'll blow you to and from if your foundation's not solidly placed on the Word of God. Make the Word of God your foundation. Read it, study it, but most importantly, obey what it says. Do what it says. Build on the foundation of God's Word. Secondly, build the framework of faith in Christ. Build the framework of faith in Christ. Let your life be a testimony of your faith in Jesus Christ. Do people know that you're a child of God? Do they know you believe God? Do they know that you walk with God? Look with me, if you will, a minute to Matthew chapter 16. I want you to see a passage of Scripture there beginning in verse 13. Matthew chapter 16, excuse me, in verse number 13. Notice what it says. Matthew 16, verse 13. If you got it, say amen. If you don't, say oh me. Okay. Bill's the only one that said oh me. He doesn't have it yet. All right. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of God, am, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. What if somebody asked asked that question? Who do people say that you are? What would their answer be? They had different answers here for Jesus. Verse 15, he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? What do the other people say? But who do you say? The disciples, who do you say? Verse 16, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The rock upon which the church of Jesus Christ was built was not Simon Peter. The rock was the ch- of the church was the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the statement that Peter, met, that Peter made, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'm glad, by the way, the church isn't built on a man. It's built on Jesus Christ and Him alone. By the way, if you look over at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6, you'll see what Peter thought about that. 1 Peter chapter 2, and listen to what verse 6 says. Wherefore also it is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion the chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. He that believeth on him. Who was that? Peter? No. That was Jesus Christ. You don't find salvation in believing in Peter. You find salvation in believing in Jesus Christ. Romans 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth Peter. No, it says if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. It's on Christ. He is the solid rock. Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus is saying that it's in faith in him as the Savior, as the Messiah, as the Son of God, 
upon which the church was built. It is the bedrock teaching of the New Testament. It's faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. In John chapter 6, Jesus said some hard things and taught some hard things to the multitudes that were following. And at one point, He asked them, He said, What shall we do? They asked Jesus, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? What can we do to work the works of God? You see, these people had the idea that salvation was based on works. But salvation is not based on our work, it's based on a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They thought it was all about something they did. They said, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Salvation is not about what we do. It's not about religion. It's about a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's about the work that He did for us on the cross at Calvary. And Jesus said to them in John 6, 29, He said, This is the work of God. Now this is important, listen to me. There are some people that say, well, you have to be baptized to be saved. If you're saved, you ought to be baptized. That's the first obedience of the first commandment the Lord gives to us. But baptism does not save us. Baptism is a work. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works which any man should, uh, not of works lest any man should boast. Some people say, well, well, baptism's not a work. Well, they say, what they say is it's a work of God. But that's not what Jesus said. This is the work of God, John 6, 29, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. The work of God is to believe on Jesus Christ. The work of God's not baptism, it's not joining the church, it's not taking communion, it's not going to confession, it's not living a good life. All of those things may be good, but they won't get you to heaven. Only thing that gets us to heaven is faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Upon this rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, I build my church. A pastor shared this story some time ago. He said, in 1954, my brother was electrocuted to death. Little did my parents know that God would take this tragedy and turn it into a blessing. It was through that horrible, sad catastrophe in their lives that my parents, for the first time in their lives, started to think seriously about God and eternity. Dad came to Christ a little later, the preacher said. But just a day or two after Al died, his brother, my mother turned to God in her time of sorrow and put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. He said she had trusted in works. She had trusted in her good life up until then. But in the crucible of sorrow and grief, she turned to Jesus, not just to deliver, deliver her from her grief, but it was in the midst of the anguish and sorrow that she realized she did not have a Savior. She had some good works, she had some good intentions, she had a little bit of a religion, she had some church, but he said she did not have Jesus. She bowed her head and invited Jesus Christ into her heart and life and got saved. And that very moment, the Savior came in, he said, and transformed my mom's life. She was never the same again after that. Have you ever come to that place in your life? where you realize 
Yeah, I've got some religion. I go to church sometimes. I do some good things, but have you ever trusted Jesus as your Savior? And has your life really been changed? I don't mean the place of sorrow, but I mean the place where you recognize your need of the Savior. You see, good works cannot save us. Religion's not enough. It's faith in the Son of God. A true relationship with Jesus Christ, God the Son, that gives us eternal life. You may have grown up in church. A lady in my dad's church, and when I was, I think I was in college at the time, she taught Sunday school in church. She had been in the church for years. One Sunday, my dad preached a message on the cross and Jesus dying, and, and he focused in on the verse where it talked about the women around the, the cross and how they wept for Jesus. And Dad said, some, some of you have wept for Jesus, but you've never really come to know Jesus. And that lady got up and came forward and got saved that day. She said, I've been religious. I've gone to church. I've even taught Sunday school, but I don't know Jesus. And she gave her heart and life to Jesus Christ that day. You may have grown up in church all your life. You know the lingo, lingo the language. You know the do's and don'ts. You know the ins and outs of the church. You know the songs by heart. You can pray as good as the rest of them, but deep down in the inner recesses of your heart, you know it's just all a game. It's a show. You've learned to play the part. In reality, you don't have Jesus. I mentioned my brother Dan and I preached my dad's funeral, or my mom's funeral. My brother Dan, we grew up in the same home, same church, same dad and mom. I was pastoring for just a short while the church that my dad pastored in Wheaton, Maryland, the suburbs of Washington, D.C. After I graduated from college, dad moved on to another church in the Shenandoah Valley, and the church called me, and I went there for a little while. And while I was there, dad's church was about 100 miles away, and he was having a revival meeting. He had Bob Kelly come and preach a revival, who at that time I think was pastor of Franklin Road in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And so I went over Monday night. I drove over Monday to spend some time with my family and to go to the revival that night. My brother Dan was the song leader and the youth director for my dad in his church. Dan had pastored a church while we were in college like I did. And that night in the revival meeting, Bob Kelly preached a message, and my brother Dan was leading the invitation song and went down and knelt at the altar. And Bob Kelly came over and talked to him, and Dan got saved that night. And I talked to him later and I said, Dan, I said, did you think you were saved all those years and now you just, you found out you really weren't and you asked the Lord to save you? He said, no. He said, I always knew I wasn't saved. I said, well, why didn't you get saved? He said, well, when we were growing up, I was afraid what would people think if the preacher's son got saved? And then he said, then I was pastoring a church and I thought, what would they think if the pastor got saved? I think there's some pastors ought to get saved. <laughs> and then he's working with my dad. He's youth director, music director. He's, he said, I thought, what are they going to think if the youth director and the music... And he said, tonight I decided that it wasn't worth going to hell for my pride. And tonight I asked Jesus into my heart and life and got saved. You see, you can have religion and church and all of it, but if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've got the wrong foundation. 
and you're not prepared for eternity. Pride isn't worth going to hell for. Amen? It's not worth it. And then finally, build the walls of the monument of your life by your works. Build the walls of the monument of your life by your works. As we said before, works cannot save us, but once we get saved, we ought to be working for God. God wants us to build a living memorial. He wants us to serve Him with joy and happiness. Again, in Ephesians 2.10, he says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. As far as securing salvation is concerned, we are Christ's workmanship. He does the work in us. But then He saves us, and He keeps us saved, and He does it all. But he does it for a purpose, and that is so that we can be his workmanship. He created, created us unto good works, for good works, so we can serve him and live for him and make our lives count for him. Since you got saved, if you've trusted the Lord as your Savior and been saved, are you working for the Lord? Are you serving him? Are you doing anything with your life for God? Are you... Are you reading your Bible every day? Are you studying it? Are you marking things in there? Sometimes people think, well, you should never, you shouldn't write in your Bible. Well, this is God's Word. It's okay. The words in there are inspired. The, the paper's not necessarily inspired. Some years ago, I had a lady, and she had some, some mental issues. I appreciated her spirit, though. She called me on the phone one day, and she was crying. She said, Brother Tim, I've done a terrible thing. I said, what'd you do? She said, well, I was underlining a verse in my Bible, and my hand slipped, and I, I drew through a word in the Bible. I marked out a word. And she said, I tried to erase it, and she said, I erased a hole through the page, and I've taken away from God's word. And she was so broken over the fact that she had... And I said, wait a minute. The, the ink and the paper is not inspired. It's the words that are inspired. It's God's word. He understands, and I explained it to her. But you know what? I appreciated her heart and her spirit. That word was so important to her. In the Bible days, the scribes, they didn't have printing presses like we do. But when they wrote, hand-wrote the word of God, before they even wrote it, they would go take a bath and cleanse themselves. When they'd come to the Word of God, Jehovah, they wouldn't write the Word. It was too holy for them to write. They had such honor for the Word of God. But many of us as Christians, we take our Bible home, set it on the shelf, and it's there next week when we come to church, we go pick it up. Preacher one time went to visit a home, and the lady wanted to impress the preacher, and she said, Honey, to her little girl, she said, Sweetheart, go get the Bible that your mother loves so much. And the girl came back with a Sears and Roebuck catalog. <laughs> now that's a few years ago with a Sears and Roebuck catalog. But the girl, that little girl, didn't know that her mom loved her Bible. What kind of memorial are we leaving? Can folks look at your life? Can they look at my life? Paul said here in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Will your children say, I thank God for the remembrance of my dad, my mom. My dad loved God. I hear people sometimes use the statement, they, and I understand what they're saying, 
but you've heard it too. Somebody say, well, if anybody made it to heaven, my grandma did. Now, we know you don't go to heaven by works. But what they were saying was, I had a grandma who lived what she believed. Do people say that of you? I'm sure he went to heaven. I'm sure she went. They knew the Lord. They lived for God. Their life counted for God. You and I are writing a memorial to be left behind for those who follow us. How do we avoid, avoid building a memorial that is on sinking sand? First of all, by building it on the Word of God. Through reading it and studying it and obeying it. Secondly, by having a real and living, life-transforming faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There's a lot of people say they're Christians, but there's no change in their life. My Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. When you really get saved, your life will change. Let me say, well, I'm, I got saved when I was real young. I did too. I was six years old when I got saved. To be quite honest with you, I've done more bad since I got saved than I did before I got saved. But here's the difference. If you're really saved, you're not going to enjoy it. Oh, there's the pleasures of sin, but you're not happy. You're convicted by it. You're guilty. You feel that guilt of the Holy Spirit convicting you if you're really saved. A transforming life, a transforming faith that changes our life. And then by showing the reality of that faith through works in obedience to the Lord and service to others. What kind of living memorial are you building what will people remember about you? And finally, what will God remember about you? Amen? Because one day we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and the books will be open. What will God remember about you? Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, this Memorial Day weekend, may we just kind of Focus in on our own life and think about what kind of a memorial we're leaving behind. What are folks going to remember about our life? Most of all, what will God remember? What will you remember? Lord, when we come to that time when our life is over, it's too late to do anything about it. Would you help us to purpose today to do what needs to be done so that we leave the right kind of memorial? We build our lives on the Word of God. We build our lives in faith on the living Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we get to work serving you and living for you and serving others, leaving a legacy behind that will bring glory to our God. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.